0: All right. Well, welcome, you guys. Well, thanks for being here today. You brave the weather. I don't know where everybody else is, but they're going to miss out today, right? Thanks for being here. We are kicking off a brand new series called Let There Be Light, a three-week Christmas series that we're going to be doing, and will culminate on Christmas Eve. So can't wait to see you guys there for that. Um, but we are looking at the greatest story ever told, the most, the oldest, most ancient Controversial, debated story ever told, and it's the birth of Jesus. It's God entering into the human timeline as a person. And so we're going to unpack that together, and um, we're doing it in a little different way. Typically, when we look at the, the Christmas story, the Nativity story, you know, it's Mary and Joseph on the donkey going to Bethlehem, the whole manger scene, but John takes a whole different approach to sharing God's story, a whole different angle. And his is massive and cosmic in nature. Uh, He starts with the oldest story ever told. The oldest story ever told is the one of light and darkness, of good and evil, right and wrong. And that's where John kicks off his Christmas story. So thank you, John, um, for that. But this is the story that's, right, it's in every culture, every language the books we read, the movies we watch, it's this age old debate or tension of right and wrong, good and evil, black and white. Thank God we don't have that tension anymore in our world. It's gone now, and <laughs> you're yeah, right, it's right in front of us every day, every relationship, everything we read. Like, what's right? What's wrong? It's this ongoing tension that we live with. It's in all of us. And the interesting thing about you know the darkness, and darkness has this tendency, um, sometimes it's obvious, like we can call it out and say, that's dark, that's wrong, we all agree on that. But typically it's more subtle. right? Darkness has this tendency to kind of seep in and then corrupt. That's what it does. It creeps into us, our relationships, our culture. It creeps in and corrupts things. And oftentimes... What's hard is we find ourselves on opposite ends of the spectrum from people we love on what is, what is light, what is dark, what is right, what is wrong. I mean, we are all, we're all in it. We're all living with that tension. And I don't know about you, uh, but I am great at pointing out darkness. Like, it's one of my strengths. Like, I can look out there and I can say what's wrong with the world. It's, you know, it's the media, it's the government, it's that group of people, Uh, It's my kids, you know, it's my wife, it's all these things. Uh, I'm really good at pointing it out. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. This is the the first part. This is what John, um, I want to read verse 5. This is kind of the, the main thesis of what we're talking about today. He says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the hope of Christmas that Jesus, the light of the world, entered into humanity. And we know the end of the story. The light wins. The light wins, which is great, but it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel like the light is winning. There's darkness all around us. I remember uh, just last month, my family, one of our traditions is we go up to Idlewild over over Thanksgiving time. Go up there for a couple days. And so we're supposed to leave at 9 a.m., and so we're packing up, you know, and my, I did my job. I packed my bag and then I put my bag in the car. So we were done, you know, we were done packing. Meanwhile, my wife is packing like bumbos and high chairs and packing plays and jackets and, and things I didn't even know we had in our house or in our minivan, you know, and I'm like an hour and a half later and she finally gets in the car and I'm very upset. I'm, we're very late. It's her fault that we're late. And, I, you know, the other thing I did is I buckled the kids into the car. You know, so I felt like I did my part, uh, but I just went off. We're late. It's your fault. It's like how the whole God story began, right? Adam in the garden blaming. It's Eve's fault that I ate that apple. The darkness, it's out there. It's someone else's fault. And this is the first time, that's the first time that debate's ever happened in my family, by the way. The first time we've ever had an issue with leaving on time. It's the very first time. But I think what we're trying to do today is is say, what about if we look in the mirror? What if there's something inside of us that we haven't fully dealt with? And one of my favorite theologians, um, she writes this. You might have heard of her. Her name's Taylor Swift. And. uh, But she really nails it with her new song. I mean, she hits the nail on the head. This is the chorus or to one of her songs. She says this. She says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's a good place to start for all of us. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. And so let's give some context, some background onto why John is writing his gospel this way. Um, at the time that he wrote it, it was about 100 AD, so 100 years after the birth of Jesus, And he's living in a town called Ephesus. It's a place you can go to today in Turkey. Um, he's living there. I think we brought a picture in. There it is. And the different, there's different people living in this city. So one group of people are what you could call the Gentiles. These are the Roman people. Um, the society was one time Greek. So their literature, their philosophy had influenced this culture. It's ruled by Rome at this time. And then the other group of people are the Jewish people. They're living there at the same time. So John's thinking to himself, he's like, I'm living with all these people. I've got the greatest story ever told, and I want to share it. And he's thinking, how do I share it in a way that everyone will listen? How do I speak to these very different audiences, the Jewish people, the religious people, and the Gentiles? How do I say it in a way that they will all listen and they will all believe? So that's that's what he's trying to do when he's writing this, this gospel. So let's look at both those groups of people and what he's saying. So we'll first start uh, with the Jewish people. Now, they were a performance-based religion. Okay? If you did something right, you were good, you were holy. If you did something wrong, you were bad. That was the basis of their whole religion. They stood on this moral high ground. They kind of looked down on the rest of society and said, we've got the truth, we, we're following the law, the rest of you are not. And so John, um, he writes, let's just read John 1.1. 1, 1. This is definitely for the Jewish audience. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Jewish mind, when they heard that in the beginning, like we might do, they track back all the way to Genesis. That's how Genesis starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the, the Jewish people, are they're leaning in. They're like, yeah, John's speaking our language. He gets us. He knows us. He knows our culture, our traditions. And then the next thing he says kind of rocks them. He says this, the word was with God, and the word was God. And so that word, word, is logos in the Greek. And so in the Jewish mind, they, that was everything for them that was the law that was the torah that was these 600 laws that you had to follow to be good that was that was their religion in a nutshell the logos the law and so john is saying he's like actually the law isn't this written down moral code it's a person it's a person his name is jesus and so the jewish he would have lost them there they would have been like no way we can't go with you there that's too much they can't follow him down that path. The law, the moral code, was not meant to make us good. The law was meant to lead us to Jesus who makes us good. Is that true? The law, the moral code, it, does, it, in a, it doesn't make us good. The law was meant to lead us to Jesus who makes us good. We're fully righteous and pure in his eyes, there's nothing we can or can't do to earn that or to change that status, right? So I think we have—I uh, don't know about you—but there's a lot I can relate to with the Jewish audience that John's talking with. In my own faith, in my own way of my upbringing, we've we've all been raised in this performance-based culture. It's just part of being American. In our schools, it's performance-based. In our homes, probably how we were raised. In our workplaces, you do good, you're rewarded you do bad, you do wrong, you're, you get in trouble, you're disciplined. And so I want to dig into this a little bit more with our, our little metaphor. We brought in a tree over here, our nice little fruit tree, okay? And our fruit on this is going to represent, these these are like the words, your actions, our behavior. So this is everything the world sees. Every, we, this is the part of us we project, we put out there into the world. It looks good, it's this beautiful fruit, and you know, if I do the right thing, I'm rewarded. This is this is the part that everybody sees. But then there's also the roots, the roots of the tree. Those are that's your heart. That's the part that's it's your true self. Uh, there's stuff in there that the world, everyone else doesn't see, doesn't experience. And that's part of you as well. So how does this how does this play out? We're rewarded for good behavior. In my own life, I've learned that if I tailor or modify my words and my behavior, everything's going to be fine. I'll be accepted, I'll be promoted, you know, everything will be good. Um, The problem with that is that over time, I'm putting out, you know, this good fruit, and I start to believe, like, that's who I really am. I'm good. I'm perfect. I'm all good. What you see is what you get, and I start to ignore some of the other stuff going on in my heart just push it down, put it away. It's, if I let it out, it'll get me in trouble. You don't want to do that. So we just kind of keep shoving it, shoving it down there. This is how it might, let's say, come out at work. You're in the workplace, right? Maybe you manage a team of people, and uh, you just bring on some new hire, some new person comes into your workplace and uh, walks into your office, and you're like, what the, this is garbage. What is this report? I've told you, we've told you five times, this is not how we do reporting at our company. Oh my, get out of here. Go finish it, do it right, bring it back in at the end of the day. Kid leaves your office and you step back and you're like, whoa, what was that? That's not me. That's not who I am. That's just like like one bad apple, one bad piece of fruit. That's an anomaly. That's not who I really am. But deep down... (laughs) Maybe there's something you haven't unearthed. Where's that anger coming from? Is there bitterness? Jealousy? What's, what's deeper in there where that, that behavior comes out? We've gotten really good, at least I have, at behavior modification rather than heart transformation. Right? God, He wants to change our hearts, get down to the roots, and not just our behaviors. Another way that we've been trained to do this is to avoid pain. So I put out this good fruit. If I let something that I think is bad out, I'm going to get in trouble as a kid. If I let it out, I might hurt someone and do damage in a relationship if I'm really honest with what's going on in my heart. And so we've learned to avoid pain, shove stuff down, and just put out that good-looking fruit. So another way this this is, is like for me, I don't know if you grew up at a home, but I was, if I did something wrong, um, there's this old practice called spanking. I don't know if you guys have heard, it's still practiced in some families. Um, and my parents were masters at the art of spanking. I mean, they, I don't know if the church had like a seminar on the weekend where they could get trained on like, this is the way, the Christian way to, to deal with behavior is spanking. And so, you know, you get in trouble, come downstairs, you get the The wallop, and then they'd say, "Turn the other cheek." Let's do the other, you know, the other side. Um, This is—I don't know if you grew up like that, but uh, that was for me, and it it, was—it worked. It worked. Like I didn't want to repeat some of that behavior because it was painful. There was a consequence. It was behavior modification, but was it really getting down to my heart? And the way I do this in my home um, is, I hear some screaming or yelling someone crying in the house. This happens probably every day. And then I just start yelling. It's like, get down here. What did you do to your sister? Did you hit her? Why? We don't hit. We don't hit. Go to your room. Think about what you did. Get out of here. Like every day. I wish it wasn't, but every day. What am I doing? I'm like, I'm teaching them behavior modification. Don't hit. That's bad. Right? Don't hit. That's bad. It's true. It is. But I'm not getting down the root of, of my daughter's heart. A better approach might be something like this. I hear that screaming, kid comes down the stairs, and I get down, I'm like, oh man, what happened? What, what, what just happened? What were, you, what were you feeling? Why did you do that? What, what were you feeling in your heart? Oh, you were, you were angry? Oh, I'd be angry too if, if she took my coloring book? Yeah, my Moana coloring book? Yeah, I would be angry too. What could you do different next time? What, instead of hitting, like, what's, what could you do? All right, that's a good idea. Trying to get, you know, get in there. Get to, get to the root. Heart transformation. Not just behavior modification. And we all have this. So it's, it's, we all have it. There's all of us have areas of our heart where we've just kind of pushed down. We haven't dealt with it. If we let it out, it might cause pain or disruption in our relationships, and we've just learned to shove it down. But what's interesting is when we bring this stuff into the light, there's no shame, there's actually peace. I learned this from personal experience. There's peace. When you bring stuff into the light, there's a freedom and a peace that you experience when you bring it into the light. And so for me, I've started to dig into some of those areas of my life. I now have an accountability group I meet with every single week. Every Thursday morning, we get on a call and we talk about everything. Why am I yelling this week? Why have I, what are those deeper issues in Nate's heart that need to be brought into the light? I've got a therapist on speed dial. I call Doug whenever things get real bad, and we work it out. We get into it. I want to read Romans 8.1. It says this, Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So again, there's freedom. There's not guilt. There's not shame. might cause a little pain if you bring some of this stuff to the light, but on the other side of that is freedom and peace. Let's just take a minute. I want to pray for us right now. Jesus, we just thank you that you see us perfect, holy, pure. God, there's nothing we can or can't do to change that status. All we have to do is have the courage to bring some of that junk up to the surface and expose it to the light. Because the benefits on our end, we feel peace, we feel joy. There's a deeper level of intimacy in our relationships when we do that. God, we don't want just behavior modification. We want our hearts to be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is John, this talking to the Jewish people. I think we have the most ways we connect and relate to the Jewish audience. But he's also speaking to the Gentiles in this story. So let's see what what he says to them. In verse 4, or um, one of the things he's doing all throughout this is he's using their language, their words, their philosophy, their their ideas, and he's repurposing them. So all throughout it, you can pick out different examples of how he's speaking to the Greek audience. So verse 4 says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Uh, So that word life is zoe, Zoe, let's say it together on three. One, two, three. Zoe. In our mind, we typically think of like eternal life. Uh, This word in the Greek, it means quality of life, an abundant life, living life to the fullest. Life in full living color, like you're in the moment, you're fully alive, experiencing everything. And the Greeks would have seen this word and they're like, oh, yes, that's what we, we want that. It's in their literature, it's in their philosophy. This was like what they were searching for was this abundant zoe kind of life. And so as he's using that word, he's saying, you want that kind of life? It's found in the person of Jesus. That's where you find it. So they're leaning in, they're listening like, hmm, what is this guy saying? He says it again in John ten ten. he records Jesus saying this. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life, zoe, and have it to the full. So if you're here today and you're like, that sounds beautiful, but I'm kind of on the fence about this whole God thing, about Christianity. I've got my doubts, I've got my questions, the church has wounded me, I meet too many Christians that are hypocrites... I just, I don't know if I can buy into this whole thing. What he's saying here is he's saying, but even in a amongst your questions, your doubts, some of your pains, you can still have this quality of life, this depth of life that you can't find anywhere else. It's only found in Jesus, that Zoe kind of life. And so if that's you here today, I just want to, we're going to pray again. And I just want to pray for you and just repeat this prayer after me. If you want that kind of life, but you've got your, your questions or your doubts, let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, we just thank you that you love us exactly who we are. All the good, all the junk, you love us. You've extended your grace to us, God. And I, we might have questions. I've got my doubts got my wounds. But God, I just surrender all that to you. I bring it into the light. I want to experience the Zoe kind of life, this abundant life in the here and now, right now. Doesn't mean all my problems are going to go away or life's just going to be perfect. But God, I want to experience this abundance of life, life to the fullest, God. Come into my life Transform my heart, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to come, not now, not now, but after the service, come down front. I'd love to talk with you, meet you, and just pray with you some more if you prayed that prayer, all right? All right, let's move on to the last section of what John is saying. He, he pivots quickly, and he tar- starts talking about John the Baptist. So let's read this part. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So here's this guy, John. He's the forerunner to Jesus. And he's just pointing people to Jesus, saying that's the source of love. That's the source of all things good. He is the light. He's being a witness. He's testifying. And uh, that's obvious. That's our role as well. As Christians, we point people to Jesus. But here's the tricky part of that. Uh, if, if, if we want to bring light, that means we have to go into dark places. Right? If there's darkness, how else will light get there unless we show up? If the light of Jesus is in us and we're reflecting that, that means we got to step into some of those broken parts of the world. The people we disagree with, the lifestyles we disagree with. How else is... we got to befriend people. Right? So the light can enter in. The point of the Christian life is not to distinguish ourselves from the ungodly, but to stand in radical solidarity with everyone. But what if the darkness corrupts me? What if, like, you know, I associate with those people or start to talk with those? Isn't that gonna corrupt me? Isn't some darkness gonna get in? What if I get rejected? What if what if I like? try to enter into this dark part of the world that I think is, what if I get rejected? Those are all real fears. Those are all real fears. But God loves things by becoming them. Right? He became human. He didn't sit up in heaven as God perfect. He entered into this dark world called humanity, and he became a human. He loves things by becoming them. I've got this silly example that I've shared, I don't know even here, but I think with the staff before, but it paints this perfect picture of how like crazy and radical this this is, that the God of the universe entered humanity. So here it is, there's my daughter Shiloh loves animals, and uh, one of her favorite animals is a cat, and um, cats are sinners, so you've got this sinful population of cats running around, And if Shiloh wanted to save the cat population, she would have to herself become a cat, right? She would have to become a cat. And then, if that's not enough, she would have to die as a cat to save the cat population. Like, that's that's what Christ did for us. That's how crazy and ridiculous and amazing it is. He went into the dark place. He entered in. Uh, There's another cool example of this that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. It's exactly what we're talking about here today. It's kind of a long passage, but but, um, let's read it together. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Confusing language, but what is he saying? He's saying, I, I entered into the Jewish culture. Their traditions, their practices, there's some darkness there, but I went into it so that I would be accepted and so that I could share the light. And then to the other audience, the Gentiles, he says, Paul says this, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak I have become all things to all people. We enter in. We step into those dark places. So I think the question is, how do we enter in? How do we approach parts of our world that we think are dark and broken and need God's light. What's our approach? And I've got three that I think uh, take into account how Jesus walked the earth. First one is this, to be vulnerable, to lead with vulnerability. Why did Jesus come as a baby? Why not as the powerful king, the warrior, the rich and powerful? Why didn't he come with power? Why did he come in complete weakness and vulnerability? Because who doesn't love a baby? right? Everyone has access. Everyone's accepted. There's no walls that are up when you're around a baby. It's just complete joy and freedom and vulnerability so that all would accept him. That's why he came as a baby. So for us, practically, what does that look like? What does it look like to lead with vulnerability in our day-to-day? Maybe it's being the first to apologize, there's a broken relationship, which probably we all have in this room, with a, a parent, uh, a child, a sibling. There's a broken rela- lead with that apology. There's something I did to make this, to damage this relationship. Own it. And I know for I don't know about you, but whenever I apologize, I feel weak. It's not I don't feel good usually when I do. It's like I feel like a little kid. I'm like I feel kind of pathetic, you know, and weak in that moment. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's where Christ wants us. That's where he, his strength shows up is through that vulnerability. That's how things are changed and transformed. Another way to be vulnerable is to take the blame in your workplace. So when that kid comes in with his report that he's messed up, you know, for the fifth time, it's taking some ownership and saying, I'm sorry, that's, you know, my fault. I didn't train you well enough. I didn't spend enough time with you. Let's, hey, come into my office. Let's, let's work on it together. Let's do it right now. Again, you don't feel strong when you get bl- when you take blame. You actually feel weak and vulnerable, and maybe that's okay. Another way is to um, to sh- to be brave, to step into the parts of our world where um, there's brokenness: women being trafficked, domestic violence, foster care system, refugees showing up. I mean, those are s- crazy, scary places. I don't have the skills. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help, but I'm going to show up. I'm just going to step in to that area of brokenness in our world and see what happens. Bring some light into those areas. And the last one is to be curious, to ask questions, to surrender the need to be right. Surrendering the need to be right. We were created to love people more than principles. Right? We've got our principles. We've got our belief sets. We are created to love people more than principles. There's this great quote by an actual theologian, Richard Niebuhr. He wrote a book called Christ and Culture. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, in the, on the question of how does God transform the world, he says this not simply by offering ideas, counsel, and law, but by living with men and women in great humility enduring death for their sakes, and rising again from the grave in a demonstration of God's grace rather than an argument about it. We have to have relationship with the people we disagree with, right? We have to be in relationship because that light is transferred, is communicated in and through relationships. Got a cool um, story that kind of shares everything we're talking about. So won't even set up any anymore in that. It's a video. let's go ahead and watch it
1: together. 2022 was a strange and challenging year for me. It left me wanting to know more about the big questions in life. One Sunday morning, I happened to wake up and feel compelled to go to church. I don't know why I hadn't been to church in years. I ended up sitting as far in the back as I possibly could, trying to be as invisible as I possibly could. And just listening, this guy got up and talked about Alpha, this Alpha project where you can come with your doubts, whether you are a believer or not, bring your doubts, bring your debate, and it's a safe space to talk about those things. I said, you know, that guy's talking to me. I'm going to go. Game on. I'm going to debate like crazy because I have doubts the size of the Grand Canyon, and I always have. So the next Tuesday night when Alpha started, I ended up sitting at a table with with some people that uh, all walks of life, different ages. They had this openness to hear my doubts. Fast forward, halfway through Alpha, I was seriously conflicted. I wanted to believe like them, but I still had all these doubts. And on the way home one evening, something hit me like a lightning bolt. It said, Kevin, you are trying to understand so that you can believe, and you've got it backwards. You need to believe so you can understand. Mm -hmm. That moment changed everything for me. It felt like somebody was pouring warm water into my heart. The next time I showed up to Alpha, I was a believer. Everybody was so warm and encouraging. I just felt like I made a family there. I feel a presence in my heart and my soul that I've never felt before. I feel like at 60 years old, for the first time in my life, I'm seeing the world in color. That is just a wonderful feeling. I can't be thankful enough.
0: Cool story, yeah? not beautiful? Kevin's here with us today. Good to see you, Kevin. Didn't want to call you out and embarrass you, but thanks for sharing your story, man. But what a story. I mean, here's, and he said in the video, he shows up, he's got doubts and questions and ready to put his gloves on. And the group just sat back and they're just like, all right, ask questions, get to know Kevin. What, who are you? What makes you tick? What are you all about? And the layers were peeled back on his heart. Right? And he, and now it's funny, the group would look at Kevin. They're like, by the end of this, they're like, dude, you're like a different person. Like, your, your affect is different, your face is different. Like, maybe you're experiencing the Zoe kind of life. This fullness of life that you can't find anywhere else is there was like a light in his eyes and his smile. There's a joy about him that you just couldn't describe. And he still challenges, there's still not everything's been solved or, or fixed. But he's, he's living with this Zoe kind of life. You know that because this is his second service. He sat through two church services. So you know that's not normal. Most of us don't do that. So as the band plays, I, there's two questions that I want us to, to just reflect on. The first is this. What part of your heart needs some light? That uh, area that you've just been you know, shoving down, hiding. If I let it out, it could do some damage though. It could hurt myself, it could hurt someone, but it needs to come out into the light. Why? Because there's freedom in that, there's joy, there's a depth of connection with others when we get that stuff into the light. What is that thing? Second question What who can you be a light to this Christmas? Who can you be a light to? What area of darkness are you feeling called to step into? It's probably the thing that bothers you the most with, with culture. With the world, that group of people, that issue. What am I doing to step into that in a loving, vulnerable, humble way? Because how else is the light going to get in if we don't go there, right? We are we are transformed people, transforming our world, right? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a light in us that needs to shine. We need to enter into those places and let that, let that shine. But, but if you're feeling kind of discouraged, you're like, but the light's not winning. There's too much darkness out there. The light's not winning. Let's remember what John said. He said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We know the end of the story. There's hope. The light wins, so let's go be lights. Sound good, everyone? thank you guys for being here this morning. If you need prayer, please come down front. We'd love to pray with you. Go in peace, everyone.
1: Have a great Sunday.